Welcome to the Purpose and Principles podcast. I'm Max Brown. My guest today is Chris Cox, and she served as the executive director of the Governor's Office of Management and Budget for the state of Utah. She also served on the cabinets of three previous governors and is the presidential appointee within the federal government. In addition, she consults with other states on how to improve performance, which is what we're really going to focus on today. And she's received numerous, numerous recognitions, including Governing Magazine's Public Official of the Year. Chris, I know we've spoken before on this show, but you just came out with a new book called Stop Decorating the Fish, Which Solutions to Ignore and Which Problems Really Matter. I am really glad you're here. Max, thank you for having me. I'm a big Max fan, so we're yeah. going to have fun today. Oh my word! I'm. I, I mean, I'm. I, I just before we started the show, I told you I'm smiling. Just the opportunity to have yeah. you back on the show. I'm really, really happy because you're talking about some really important things. And you know, you've you've served in government for a long time. You've mm-hmm. just stepped out of a big role that you've been in for a long time. Can you just explain what is your message now? What are you trying to help people to understand? Mm-hmm. Um. Maybe let me start with my backstory about why I feel so passionate mm. about getting government to work for its citizens. Please. And back in the day when I was going blind, I'm blind. And in my, for many, many years, I call them the dark years, the idea of being able to work uh, and live kind of an independent life just seemed impossible. And so for some years, I was actually on social security disability, living off of like 300 a month. And how old and were I remember, you? How old were you? Um, this is in my 20s. In your 20s. Yeah. So, okay. so late, late teens, early 20s, mid 20s, I was really struggling. And I finally got my first, I got a job with this great group, National Federation of Blind. And they were the most amazing mentors I've had. They just turned my whole life around. But I got this job with them and they were helping me learn basic things. Mm-hmm. And that was a whole journey into itself. But I was, on a, this government program and they gave you nine months to, to try out work. It was called trial work to see if you could work and be successful. But it was so scary because if I wasn't successful, if I couldn't figure out how to use technology and I just, I didn't have the skills then that I do now, um, you lose your benefits and to get back on is this massive undertaking. It could take months or years to get back on if you fell. Mm-hmm. And I remember going, I remember sitting in our little townhouse in our living room and Randy was, my husband was reading some mail, some documentation from the Social Security Administration. And the bureaucracy was huge. The forms were long, super technical. Um, the money they said they were making is not did not align with the money I was actually making. It was just, the, the concept was great. Trial work will give you nine months to try out work. Um, but the execution was so poor and so mismatched. The timing of when they would account for what I was making, it was all such a mess. I was lucky that I was able to figure out and I got really good training and I, you know, that was the beginning of me changing my life. But it was because I was one of the lucky ones. I had a great support network and mentors that helped me. I wonder without that how I would have done. And I saw firsthand that there's the ideas we have in government a new policy, a new program, a new initiative. And quite frankly, those are easy. The magic, the real work is in the execution. You know, anyone can come up with an idea. And I'm not saying those aren't important. They're very important. Mm -hmm. But government is so heavily reliant on policy, which and new laws, which are important. But how do we make those things become real? So we actually make a massive impact. We can do it better. We can do it faster. We can do it cheaper. Mm -hmm. That is a different skill set. And being a subject matter expert 
in a specific area like employment services or insurance regulation or something that's important, but that isn't sufficient to actually run an organization and get the job done. So I, that's what I'm passionate about. How do we actually reduce the burden on the taxpayer while meeting the demand for services and giving our citizens what they need when they need it? Well, so easier said than done, perhaps, right? Because what you're talking yeah. about is so critical. What what can we do? And maybe maybe help us understand the distinction between the two things you just said, between policy and execution. Uh-huh. There has to be an operation. There has to be a plan, right? Yeah. So, so the analogy I always use is policy is like saying, um, I'm going to, I want to build a house Mm -hmm. and maybe it's even the architect who helps design the house, Mm -hmm. but then you've got to have a general contractor with this skill set to know electrical and plumbing, and that's its own skill set. So we can take the idea of, um, COVID it's on top of everyone's mind. Now, Mm -hmm. a lot of discussion about, you know, we need to do testing. Okay. That's great. It's a concept. It's a policy. It's a direction. Mm-hmm. But testing by itself doesn't matter. The speed of testing is what matters. If you don't do your testing and your contact tracing within three or four days, you've lost the window to catch the secondary spread, meaning the person you're testing and contact tracing has already spread it to the people, and those people have already spread it. You don't get it done fast enough. So, mm-hmm. how do you create a system that goes really fast? Mm-hmm. And that's just you know one example. There's a lot of very specific concepts and tools we use, but it's about achieving a goal. So let's let's take this whole vaccination rollout. If you don't have a goal, which may mean um, hit 30% herd immunity within one month, so that may mean if you reverse calculate, you've got to do 30,000 vaccinations a day. Mm-hmm. If you don't have a target and reverse design your infrastructure and your operations to hit that target, what you'll do is just take what you have and then just use those existing resources and may get a few thousand vaccinations out a day. So we really start in our work with being really clear about what is it you're trying to achieve. Mm-hmm. With you know, We see it in every world, healthcare, economic development. Time and time again, we see problems with how people set their goals how people set their strategy, and then how they actually execute that. And it's simple, but not easy. But the tools we use, once you start to see the world a little differently, you'll start to see that most problems in government aren't worth solving. There are a few that are, and they make the biggest difference. And if you can learn how to focus, you can really start flipping these systems and get more done for less money. Well, and and like you said, um, it, it, it might sound like it's not that difficult, but we really need to understand what it means, right? Because I, I'm thinking when you said that, James Clear wrote a book, Atomic Habits. I don't know if you've had an opportunity. I've heard about it. I haven't okay. read it, but I've heard about it. Super interesting. He has a quote in there that says, we don't, we don't rise or we don't rise to the level of our goals. We fall to the level of our systems. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right. That's and, exactly it. Uh, and I've yep. added something there. I've, I've also said, but without clarity of purpose... Uh-huh. that those goals will just be lead us to chaos and confusion. And Absolutely. You know what I mean? And so there has yeah. to be clarity of purpose. And what you're saying is once you have those targets, we have to figure out, so what are the steps to support that, which is the system? How do we create that system mm-hmm. to support mm-hmm. that goal? And oftentimes we say, well, let's put a policy in place or a rule in place and mm-hmm. think that's sufficient, but we need entire mm-hmm. system design, don't we? And it's an operational solution. So, yeah. So let me give you an example. Let's Mm. say you had three people and they each had different capabilities and different work functions and they worked in the system. We'll call them A, B, and C. Mm -hmm. 
And A could produce three units in an hour, Mm -hmm. B could produce one hour, and C could produce five, Mm -hmm. three, one, and five. Mm -hmm. And what government will tend to do is just say, okay, everybody started improving. But if I got three, and let's say they all have to work together to produce the final product, okay? This is a super simple example. I know that's not how it always works, but Mm -hmm. the principle is true in every organization I've been in, three, one, and five. I could try to go improve three, and I could get three to do four units an hour versus three. But is my system any better off? And the answer is no, because the second person, B, can only produce one unit, right? So if I give this system 10 units to produce at the beginning of an hour, three will produce three, A will produce three and give their work to B. B can only produce one. So B is going to have one unit they pass on to C, but two units just sitting there. And C could produce five units, but it only has one to work on. So it's sitting there with excess capacity. Mm-hmm. So the key of systems thinking and systems improvement Mm -hmm. is knowing the focal point. Mm -hmm. And that's why our book, we talk about most problems aren't worth solving. Mm -hmm. How do you find what we call the constraint? Sometimes the constraint is a policy. Sometimes it's a measure. Mm -hmm. Uh, Very often it's the flow of work or how we set up our batch sizes, uh, how we control things called work and process. There's a lot of wonky terms, but those could also be Uh, very often the constraint. And if we don't know how to see how all the parts work together and if everything we could focus on, what should we focus on until we learn that discipline we end up trying to fix everything. And then we see very marginal improvement, very marginal improvement. And how much money do we spend chasing that marginal improvement? Because we, you know, but we, we fill our, our meetings with lots of PowerPoint slides and Mm -hmm. case studies for how we think our case is going to be met. And, but we don't think whether we're even solving the right problem. Exactly. And it, we, you know, I think this is, and I get it. Like we all, we want to do better. Like we want to make a change, but the reality is not all changes lead to improvement. Mm-hmm. All improvements resulted from a change, but not all changes lead to improvement. So I've seen that Max where you're in a meeting and people use these blah, blah words that we use in government, integration, alignment, effectiveness, efficiency, duplication of effort, streamline, innovate, all this vague words. Mm -hmm. (laughs) What are we really trying to do? And then what's blocking us from achieving the goal? So analogy I use a lot is Chuck Yeager in um, 1940s who broke the, you know, sound barrier, travel faster than the speed of sound. They had a very clear goal, travel faster than the speed of sound. And they would start when they were you know, getting on this, when they were on this journey, they would fly. And as they went faster and faster, they would notice that the plane would start to become very unstable and actually create drag. And what was happening is that the sound waves that they were creating would be in front of them because the sound waves traveled faster and they would, then they would come up against all these sound waves and the sound waves actually created a sound barrier. Mm -hmm. And they had to figure out how do I create a different type of plane that can push through the sound barrier. And I share that because we don't know what the problem is outside the context of the goal. No one would have found the sound barrier or it would have been probably unlikely then for to discover the sound barrier unless they knew or had a goal of traveling faster than the speed of sound. It was that goal that put them up against the limitations of what they currently knew. And when you hit that limitation, that obstacle, that's what you know, that's the thing you've got to break to get to the next level of performance. And in my mind, if you're not hitting... 25, 100%, 200% improvement in 
your cost, your quality, or your ability to meet demand, you're not focused if on the right goal or on the right problem to solve. And that's a good litmus test. If you're doing a lot of work, a lot of changes, lots of new laws, lots of new reorganizations, new data systems, lots of meetings, and you're still just, you know, take healthcare. How many changes have we done in healthcare? We're still seeing the same trend with medical inflation and access issues. So when you're seeing marginal improvements, we it's a good indication we're not focused on the right problem to solve. Oh, boy. I mean, where do we stop in this conversation? This one could go on because <laughs> I know. I've got 100 questions right now. So where would you go? I, I'm thinking as a listener right now uh-huh. that, that hears this and says, oh, my word, that's, a, that's an incredible amount of improvement you're talking about, and we're not experiencing yeah. that. How do you get that kind of breakthrough? I mean, how do you get to the right problem when politically, you can't even talk about something sometimes. I mean, yeah, you, people don't even discover these things because it's actually safer to protect their job and look busy uh-huh. and try to get that marginal return and I get my paycheck and so we're good. Yeah, yeah. I would, it is challenging, you know. I And the beauty of my job and in in, that I left, it was great because it was integrated into the budget. And in my mind, any government that is trying to do budgeting without understanding operations is missing 80% of the insight because the causes of cost don't show up in spreadsheet. The causes of cost are in operations. And when you marry the two, you can start seeing stuff. But to your, to your question, um, there's two things I would start with. Number one, there's a favorite quote of mine by Einstein. And he, and he says, we cannot solve problems at the same level of understanding we had when they were created. Mm-hmm. And I say that because when we set really ambitious targets, um, we're actually exposing ourselves to what we don't know. We're setting a target and saying, we don't know how to get there right now. If we could, we would, mm-hmm. right? If people knew how to really do meaningful healthcare reform, they would have. Mm-hmm. There's something blocking them or preventing them from do that. If we really want higher ed costs and student debt to go down, we would have solved that problem. So we set an ambitious target actually to expose our gap. Where are we today? Where we, and, and why I share this is because it's such a mindset issue. It feels really scary sometimes to go into a situation where you don't know the answer. But I believe all of the opportunity exists in what we don't know. And when people learn different tools and techniques and they're exposed to operational concepts, they'll start to think through how we can close that gap. But it is a mindset issue. I've worked with many, many leaders and members of cabinet and wonderful people. And the difference I could see between the two is one that would, you know, transform their organization. The one that would do a lot of busy work, but not really change anything. Mm-hmm. It's, there's a level of humility mm-hmm. that says one of our pillars in the world. I work in theory of constraints is never say I know, yeah. because if you say that, if you say, I, I want to achieve this and I don't know how we will open ourselves and be curious enough to see what we don't know. And I can talk about techniques and tools and there's a million of them and there's great stuff, not a million. There's some really key ones that are important. But if people don't have that mindset, um, it's hard for them to take that leap into learning things. And that may mean having to say what I've been doing wasn't working. Um, There's a great, and I think, you know, Max, we were talking before the show, you know, the kind of the tension in this country. Imagine if there's all of us some level of humility to say, I think this is what I want to do. This is what it's important for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but clearly I don't have all the answers. Is there some other way we could do this and 
converse and have dialogue. So could you I think that's the first thing. I yeah, mean, could you imagine amazing. if there's, yeah, I mean, just a level of humility to allow us to ask some questions, but Politically, it seems, and and you know, I obviously we don't want to just go just into the politics of it because I really uh-huh. love the operations message you brought uh-huh. here. I mean, it's powerful. But is it is it expedient for? I, I, probably even the wrong word, but most most leaders would say it's expedient for them to show that everything they've done is right. There's been no yes. mistakes. You know, I I can't yeah. I can't do no wrong. Everything we're spending is justified, and so and so they come across like. Yeah, they might they might ask some questions behind the scenes, but in the public face, in order for that next election to occur, everything was perfect. You know, I think you're right. I do. You know, I've thought a lot about this, and I, I think for me, um, my journey, the the more I learn about this, mm-hmm. I connect that the journey of organizational improvement is mm-hmm. directly connected to the journey of self improvement, mm-hmm. and because to stand up for people and say. I could have done this better. I think that takes more strength of character than to defend everything we've done. And because it shows that we're more committed to learning and growing than protecting and defending. And I think that is a position of power. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's harder to acknowledge and recognize that, but I think people respond to that. I mean, imagine somebody who you really respect standing up and saying, I, you know, these are the things we've done well. This is what I did not do well. I acknowledge and recognize this, and this is how we're going to address it so we can learn and, and go a different direction and then provide a solution mm-hmm. or hear people's ideas about that. To me, that's a leader I can respect. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's personal opinion. So. Well, and it's, a, and it's also a, a brave choice for a lot of leaders who have not been accustomed to that in the past, mm-hmm. that they mm-hmm. can actually show a little bit of humility and say, actually, you, it, would, it would endear people to you to, to show a little level of, hey, you know, if there's a better solution out there, I'm here. I'm here and listening yeah. for that better solution because I don't have yeah. all the answers. And it doesn't mean we can't be opinionated. Right. I think people taking positions is how we actually create the the discussion because we say yeah. well wait you think that do I believe that or not do I believe right, that what right. do I think about that so we don't need to be weak and not have positions or sure. opinions on things but we can um, be open to the idea that we don't have all of the answers while also expecting a lot and I think the citizens have the right me being a taxpayer we have the right to expect a lot from our government I mean a lot we in government extract money from people. Mm-hmm. And if we can't show how well we're using their money, not just by you know setting up all these cool, fancy visualization dashboards that right. the government does, but real improvement. Did we really help the offender coming out of the prison system to reintegrate in community into the community, keep a job and stay out of prison? Did we really help the juvenile in detention graduate and not repeat those offenses? Did we really help the business get their permit quickly so that they could go higher and grow their business? Did we really, when it comes to oil spills, vaccinations, can we show that we are doing what we are supposed to be doing? That is our job. So I feel really passionate about it. I feel that from having been a recipient of services and being raised by a single mom for many years, mm-hmm. with not a lot of money, you know, mm-hmm. we, we extract this from people. They, they should demand and expect that we in government give them huge return on investment from what we're taking. So how do, how do we do that? Because I think a lot of people do, 
I mean, there's a lot of yelling and screaming, you know, of course, mm-hmm. right now, and, and to the point where it's become oh, quite toxic. Um, to the point where mm-hmm. some of us, many of us, just want to just 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 go mind our own business, and and yeah, and yet and yet we do feel like we're being taxed hard. I mean, this is becoming quite a government discussion, I guess. But yeah, but it's fun. It, it is, it is. But what problem are they actually trying to solve, right? That we can actually, and how can we support them in trying to solve the right problem? Because I think that's the interesting thing, right, is that not only does government have to deal with different opinions from the public, but a lot of those opinions also come just from their opinion without maybe all the whole picture, which maybe someone in sitting in government sees multiple perspectives and says, "Ooh, but I got to consider all the consequences of that wish, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, again, I mean, I've been, I was with the with Governor Herbert for eight years, mm-hmm. which is a very long time to be in that position. And mm-hmm. What I've had to learn, and I don't say I'm perfect at this, you know, Ray, I, I'm learning a work in process, but it's something I strive to learn, which is, um, and it's, you know, one of the seductive seven, there's these seven solutions that people jump to that are the wrong solution. And one, the last one is about blaming and accountability. And, and what that, that, that means many forms, but what, what's underneath that as a philosophical point is that we have to start with ourselves. So imagine if everyone took on extreme accountability for themselves, for me. So let's say I'm a manager of a division and the division isn't performing well. I can point to all my employees and set them all on performance review plans and say they all are doing a horrible job. Or I could say, wait, how have I designed this system to make it work so employees can actually do what they were hired to do? Usually when I go into government agencies, I look at the workflow and usually, you know, people, let's say I'm a social worker and I'm hired to social work. You know, they're lucky if they're spending 40% of their time doing what they are hired to do. Mm-hmm. They're in meetings, they're doing reports, they're doing paperwork. So if I'm a manager, I have to take that on. If I'm in the political world and, you know, this job could get political and it can hurt sometimes. I have to focus on what can I control, commit mm-hmm. to the controllables. What can you control? Because it's easy for me to want to go out and, fix everyone and fix everything else. But when I come back and focus on wait, what article can I write that precisely and is articulate about what I think in a way that can help people see the distinction. That's where I start to feel my power and feel excited. When I scatter my energy mm-hmm. around trying to fix everyone else, mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that we don't have opinions. I have very strong opinions on government. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know I can't change them. All I can do is change my work, my work product, my verbalization of the issue, how I connect with people. How do I have the courage to speak my mind? When do I have the courage? Those are all me things. And that gives me um, some energy back into this you know, very difficult world sometimes we're in right now. Well, it's very difficult. I know you managed a, approximately a $20 billion budget. Is that correct? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yes. I mean, there's a few people. And, 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 <laughs> and I, I forgot the number of employees, but it's a big, it's a big group, right? Yeah. It's about 22,000. 22, yeah. And I'm sure, you know, I'm, I, I'm not sure. I know not everyone agreed with me, mm-hmm. um, in the ranks and files. And I know some really did and some really didn't. And that's not my goal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> my goal is not for people to understand me or agree with me. My goal is, uh, for me is to help the taxpayers get what they want and what they need and what they deserve to also try to improve the workplace for the employees. So we create a winnable game for them. And usually, you know, we have failed in the design of the system and it's, uh, you know, we focus on the flaws of 
of the employee and overlook the flaws of the system and um, to create a win for the customer that the customer gets what they want. So when they need it, so that's my goal. I will fail. Sometimes I will make mistakes. That's okay. We all do. Um, And I'm learning in that. And, you know, you just, for me, it's the older I get, the more it's, you know, I've got my opinions. I'm going to share them. I'll do them respectfully. I'm going to listen. I'm going to grow. I'm going to learn. I'm going to make mistakes. It's staying very focused on our, and Max, you know this so well, there's the goal for the organization, but our personal goals and not losing my energy into areas that I don't have direct impact. Yep. Yep. Let's, I mean, I I really want to go down that path, but I want to bring us back to the book for just a moment because I I, I just, I love this book. I know we only have a few minutes left today and I know you have other things, but we're probably gonna have to do like multiple shows is what I'm kind of thinking here. I would love it. I love it. You know, this, this book really hits to all these things we're talking about. Um, and, Uh and it's one piece of it. I get it. But the problem that we're trying to solve rather than blaming the individual. So the principles we mm-hmm. try to teach in our work in, in, as a consultant, as a speaker, as a coach, I mm-hmm. often say, you know, we have to focus on the process, uh, recognize the system problems and failures before we go out and just pick on the people for falling short because you can't expect them to work in a bad system yeah. and, and not have really hard time trying to achieve their goals. Yeah. Exactly. A poorly designed system will be at a good person anytime. You know, that's from Demi. It really does. Yeah. And so, you know, having been the budget director, I, I would start to see um, folks come forward with budget requests. Mm-hmm. And I can almost start to predict what they would ask for. Mm-hmm. I first called them the fatal four. And then I was a few more years later, I added three more. And I would see people jump to more data a new reorganization or, you know, merger and acquisition for the private sector, you know, consolidation, um, new technology, uh, a new training program or public awareness campaign, a brand new idea or strategy, you know, strategy should be very, fairly constant. It's the execution that where the magic is. Um, or, you know, what did I miss? More data, more reorganization, more technology, more strategy, more blaming and accountability. So yeah, I, w- I could see that people usually thought kind of as a lack of something. If I just had more money, yeah, that was that seventh right. one, more money. Um, but my point, let's just take more money. If you don't know how your existing resources are being used, more of them won't help you. And government's like a black box. We measure the output, the outcome after the fact, but we don't understand what's happening inside. Imagine, I'll, I'll give this example. This one I feel so strongly about. Imagine trying to manage a traffic system, mm-hmm. but instead of using signals and signs, we train people and then we evaluated at the end of the day, how many wrecks there were. And then we would take this report and we'd say, you know what, we've had, you know, an increase of X, so many wrecks. We need to increase our training. We would never run a traffic system like that. We run a traffic system by giving people signals in real time, red, yellow, green, stop, start. We give them what to do, what to act on. We don't evaluate after the fact. But most of our organizations, the data is so heavily bent towards post-performance or too much data that there's so much noise we can't hear the signal. But we don't give people signals and the moment of time to know what to do so we get the best outcome. So, And then we don't get great results. So we go ask for more money so that we can train more people on how to drive, even though we haven't put signal on the road. Mm -hmm. So that's just a simple metaphor. But those are the kind of things we really look into is 
more data by itself won't help you. You've got to know what are the questions you need to be answering. More technology won't help you unless you know what is the problem you're trying to solve. And then technology can amplify your solution. A reorganization isn't going to help you if you don't know, again, what's broken in the process and the measures. Otherwise, you're just moving the chairs on the Titanic. But it feels good. Hey, I've done a whole new reorganization. I've taken all the social service agencies and put them into one. In the meantime, you've wasted two years of people's time and energy, and you have like zero improvement, maybe a couple million dollars are on the margins, but the billions where the actual values created, nothing's changed there. So there's so much money in operations, and, and we've got to start focusing on this in government. It's, we directly impact operations. We have direct control of those resources. And we've got to start learning that this is its own field of study and start applying that rigor to how we deliver services for people. Yeah, we've got to figure out not only how to solve the right problem, right? But yeah. then how do we actually execute on it? Yep, how do we execute on it? Mm. And if we don't know the right problem, if we think it's a lack of something or just a new data visualization system, or you know, we'll spend tons of time and energy and we'll miss the problem to solve. Oh my goodness. We're going to have to chat some more because there's some big deals here, but what would you say would be a first step for someone who's heard this today and said, mm -hmm. man, how can I ask a better question? How do I know if I'm solving for the right problem? How, mm -hmm. how do I get mm -hmm. on this path, if you will? Because, you know, obviously, I mean, uh, even a couple million dollars in, in, in improvements or, you know, hey, we got some data back that there's been some accidents at this particular intersection because it wasn't designed the proper way or, you know, there's more fr traffic mm -hmm. frequency than we originally expected. And now we have mm -hmm. a lot of move-ins and we've got to reorganize and and redevelop. So we do embrace some scientific thinking, but what you're saying is let's get out on the front end of that and be proactive mm -hmm. about it, not just reactive to the data after the fact to design our systems, right? Yeah. So you think of the biggest breakthroughs in science mm -hmm. from Einstein to even Elon Musk. They didn't get the breakthrough because they did a data dump. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they asked really interesting and important questions, mm -hmm. and then they could use data to observe, to fine tune, to fix. Mm -hmm. Data can give us insight on correlation, but not on causation. Mm -hmm. Causation is a, is a logic issue. Mm -hmm. So I, there's two things I would suggest for people. Number one, believe in yourself. Um, I get incredibly concerned in the society where, and look, I use data, the budget and ops person. I love data. I use it all the time. But we've started to create elitism in data. The only an elite group of data scientists or the data people can understand what's going on. And I rebuke that. <laughs> I think there's I've worked with some fantastic data people, but the best data people have intuition that has come from the operations or in the program itself. Mm -hmm. So trust that you can think. Our, the tools we use exist to help people think clearly about the problem and ask the right questions. So, so number one, believe that. Number two, um, start with your goal. It sounds so simple, but there's a few traps. I'll just list these to avoid when you're setting your goal. But start with, if you're in your organization, um, think about what you think the goal should be for your customer What what and the taxpayer. What should that be? And here's some things to avoid. Um, don't use vague language. Like higher education should be affordable. I have no idea what that is. Should it be, you know, it shouldn't grow more than the CPI every year or students shouldn't leave with, with X percent of debt. You know, be really clear. 
Um, number two, don't make it inward focused. Um, I see this a lot in government and private sector. Private sector, my co-authors from the private sector, you know, market share, profitability, those are necessary, but those are very inward focused. Government with economic development, you know, how many jobs do we get? It's very inward focused. What if we reframed the problem and thought about what's a limitation that industry has that we can fix for them? And then they come because we've actually created value for them. We're not just throwing out incentives. Mm -hmm. Right, we've solved a real problem. So we don't want to be inward focused. We don't want to confuse the means with the end. I see this all the time. Go digital, modernize our technology. Those are those are means to an end, right? What is the end, the outcome, the final result for the customer we want? Right. It's not just implementing a strategy or change. Um, and then we want to be in a position where we can directly impact the goal and not just influence. Um, this is a wonky example, but just, you know, the Federal Reserve Bank, uh, one of their stated goals is to create jobs. Well, they actually can't create jobs directly, right? They have a very long causality chain for that to happen. So the more detached we are, the causality chain, there's many, many people and stuff outside of our direct control that has to make that out ultimate goal happen. Um we again start trying to change other people and not like, wait, what do I need to do? I see this in social services all the time. We want, you know, let's say TANF, temporary assistance for needy families for these are low-income people who get cash assistance. We want to increase their employment, which is a which is a goal. We want to see that. But what's our role in that? Like, are we getting them the right surface at the right time and in the right amount? Right? Like, wh- where's our accountability to the customer? And I see this all the time. So the goal has to avoid those traps. And you just, I bet every organization I've been in, I start here and you think it's simple. I haven't been in one yet that had all those four things checked off. It takes work to get there. And the other thing I would suggest is start thinking about the system you work in. One of the biggest things um, we try to avoid in the work we do is what we call local optimization. So that example, A, B, and C. We don't want to fix A and fix B and fix C, and each part is working better. We're not interested in fixing the individual parts. Mm-hmm. We're interested in how the parts work together and in harmony. Mm-hmm. So if you're sitting in your seat and you're like, what do I, you know, how do I start? Just think about what, what, who's in front of me? What's my upstream and what's my downstream? Mm-hmm. And how can I serve them? Mm-hmm. How can I make it easier for my upstream? And then when I hand off work, how can I make it easier for them? And just start there and you'll start seeing that you're part of a bigger system and figure out where you are with what you have control over. How can you make the world better for the people that are around you? You know it. And that's the beginning of systems thinking. Yeah, I, I, I'm smiling because I often share an example. I was in Ireland doing a manufacturing tour of a factory where I was with the, I was with the first shift and talking to them about their day and how it was going. And this young woman says, well, it's going all right, you know. <laughs> It's going all right. I said, well, what's happening? And she goes, well, we're behind. You know, we're losing today. And I said, well, why are you losing? <laughs> and, and I love she, the accent. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm slaughtering it. Yeah, I, I hope yeah. my Irish friends will forgive me. But, <laughs> but, but, she, but she was so candid with me. She said, well, you know, we're losing today. We're behind. And I said, well, what's happening? She go, and finally, after some probing, she said, well, third shift, we have a competition with all the shifts. Whoever produces mm-hmm. the most is the winner for the day, Right. So third mm-hmm. shift sabotaged the line so it would take longer for us oh. to get first shift set up. Wow. 
so that it takes longer That's to get set up. That's a perfect example. It's, a, perfect it's example. exactly what we're talking about, the systems thinking. So what are we rewarding people to do yeah. so that we all succeed together rather than sabotage one another? Yeah, it's tell me how you measure me and I will tell you how I behave. It's a quote from Ellie Goldratt. And you're right. If you measure each exactly. local performance, yeah. each individual part, they're going to conflict. They're going to work in disharmony. Yep. And systems thinking is about setting up measurements so that the people work together. And it's I, I, it's hard work. It's not easy, but it's, I again, I've been in 200 plus systems and I have not been in one yet where there wasn't significant hidden capacity to get you know, better outcomes for the people. There's tremendous so, opportunities in there. Yeah, tremendous opportunities. So this, and this is what I love about this. It's not about the Democrats or the Republicans. We can keep costs in check. We can reduce tax burden and we can meet demand and make sure vulnerable populations and people who need help get it. We don't have to be an either or. We can figure out a way to make this work um, for the real needs our citizens have and not just say, I'm going to, you know, neglect the budget and just go into debt, or I'm just going to forget there's anyone who needs a safety net program. Mm -hmm. And then I know there's philosophies about how long they're on and work Mm -hmm. and all that stuff, but we, we can have, we can elevate the discussion and create a higher standard. How do we do both? That's interesting. And how do we do that in a cost effective way that also creates a good experience for the employees who are actually administering all these programs, right? Absolutely. And I'll, I'll leave with this. I really believe in walking your talk. I call it eat my own dog food. So when I started this journey in the governor's office, I said, there is no way I'm going to go out to these agencies and ask them. The governor charged all of them to hit a 25% improvement. We actually ended up hitting 35% across 175 systems. So there's no way I'm going to um, go do this if I don't do it in my own office. And through attrition, and we found you know some people that were maybe you know struggling we found them a place in government where they could really succeed. We took the staff from 34 down to about 23. Mm-hmm. And we, at that time, all of the 34 were basically doing budget. There was like one person doing some census data. So we basically expanded the mission of the office to do budget and operations. Mm-hmm. And we're, we were doing it for, with, you know, what, 13 fewer staff, 12 fewer staff, kind of dependent on the month. So we have to start by walking our own talk and you know we can't expect other people to change if we ourselves aren't willing to learn and improve and that's how you expand your circle of influence is actually demonstrating as an employee if you're one person and you feel like you're in a cog I get that it can feel like that just get really good with what your job is look upstream look downstream serve have goals achieve them and your circle of influence will increase over time yeah. So uh, a quick, just a quick question from all my clients who say, Hey, we're doing more with less all the time. And that we just, now we're doing 18 hour days because we have, you know, five fewer people on the line. Um, what do we do there so that we don't mm-hmm. feel like so we're it's just never, burning them out, yes. You know? Thank you. Thank mm-hmm. you. So when I did that, I, I never believe in that ever. Mm-hmm. In fact, when I did this, I took the salaries and I invested them so I could pay my people more so I could reduce turnover. Mm-hmm. There are, things that people were doing that I said, just stop doing. Um, they're not contributing to our mission or they're not mission critical. You actually have to choose what's important and what's not important. Mm-hmm. A lot of what we talk about is you start by stopping. So all the seductive seven things mm-hmm. that we talk about in the book, stop those. 
And when we go into organizations, we'll list all the initiatives that are going on. Many of them fall into one of the seductive seven buckets, can be put on hold. Let's focus on the real problem. And lo and behold, this isn't about working people harder. All of a sudden, they have capacity to do what you're asking them to do, and they can do it successfully, and it's a win for them. Like with my employees, I went in and paid them more. So I didn't have to train new people all the time. It was, it was a very high turnover issue. Um, agencies and government have this all the time, and you're never going to go to the legislature and say, hey, I need $15 trillion to increase salaries for all my people. See how you can solve it yourself. How do you clean out your system so that you're not having people do work that isn't mission critical, that isn't providing value? And again, it's very seldom that I'll see an organization where the front line, which is where all the value happens, and we crush the fresh front line with all our new initiatives and training and all this stuff. They just have a fraction of the time to do their jobs. Yeah. If we in management can under understand that's where the value is created, how do we support them? How do we stop ourselves from launching tons of initiatives? That's why we're like being very focused on what you do because the time of the front line is so precious. That's mm -hmm. where the customer interacts. And if we really figure out what to subordinate to, which is the front line, not the front line to management, management to the front line, we are here to make sure they can be successful. Mm -hmm. um, we can actually give them time back. That's my goal. Give them time back. We rob them of time all the time. Chris Cox, thank you for joining me on the show today. Yeah, thanks, Max. It was, it was fun. We're you're just doing awesome stuff. Well, I, I just, I love having you here. I'm grateful for the work you're doing. And I really hope we can help build and create and help governments be more effective in, in what they do and delivering services without the massive tax burdens that generally come year yeah. over year. I agree with you, my friend. It's Kindred huge. spirits. Yeah. How do people find you? Okay. How do people find oh, you? Oh, thank you. Yeah. They can go to stopdecoratingthefish.com. Okay. Um, the book there, also on LinkedIn. I'm very active on LinkedIn. I try to post regularly there. So those are you know, best options to find me. Chris, thank you for joining me on the show. All right. Thanks, my friend. Okay. To all our listeners out there, thanks for listening to another episode of the Purpose and Principles podcast. Have a good day.